Hi, everybody. Cora here. Welcome back to Rev on Air, the Rev on Vert podcast, a place for sustainable storytelling with founders, activists, creatives, and phenomenal individuals who are paving the way for a more conscious future for us all. Today, I have with me a woman who has been one of my true role models in the world of sustainable fashion. That would be the designer Mara Hoffman. Mara is an incredible yet gentle force within the industry and has led the way for inclusive, regenerative, and purposeful fashion. I can't wait to share her wisdom with you all, but first I want to say a heartfelt thank you to Redmint for making today's podcast possible. Redmint weaves together the ancient wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine with modern innovations to create powerful health rituals that form well-rounded self-care routines. They understand the crucial connection between skin health and internal health, which is why they created exceptional skincare and body care collections that are infused with potent botanicals that are well known in ancient herbology, traditional Chinese medicine books. Redmint was founded by Helena Fan, a doctor of TCM who struggled with health issues for years before turning to a more holistic solution. Through this, she discovered the power of traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, herbal medicine, and skincare topicals. For our lucky listeners in Northern California, Redmond has beautiful spas in San Francisco that are truly urban sanctuaries, somewhere you can retreat to for a well-rounded approach to well-being, from facials to acupuncture to bodywork to their herbal bar. They have all sorts of herbal elixirs. Head to redmint.com, R-E-D-M-I-N-T.com to shop their amazing range and find out more about their San Francisco wellness locations. So now on to my guest, Mara. Mara Hoffman founded her label in 2000 after graduating from Parsons School of Design in New York City. 15 years later, the brand committed itself to implementing sustainable and responsible practices whilst remaining committed to presenting colorful collections inspired by and in celebration of women. In an effort to foster foster mindful consumption habits, the brand maintains an open conversation about its approach and encourages consumers to reevaluate the relationship society has with clothing. The company continues to focus on sustainable materials, processes, and production in order to improve and extend each garment's life, and is a vocal and active advocate in seeking radical and social justice for the sake of a more equitable society. This is one of those really insightful and thoughtful conversations that don't often get to take place when speaking about fashion, talking about everything from inclusive sizing to the issues of pricing and leading a business from the heart. I can't wait to share it with you all. So now over to Mara. Well, Mara, thank you so much for joining me um, today. I'm I'm such a huge fan of the line. I've been such a huge fan of the line. I am really excited to talk to you. So, so thank you. And I, I kind of always like to start at the beginning, really, with all of my guests, you know, like, I find that people's childhoods or some of the factors of the way they were brought up tend to lead us to the places we we end up. So can you sort of just give us a brief introduction to yourself and how you kind of got into the world of fashion? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm also a fan, and it's great to have the opportunity to be in conversation together. So thank you. Um, Yeah, so I am originally from Buffalo, New York. I grew up there, and um, I was creating from a really young age. I think by like eight, I was making my first types of garments. exploring that and I grew up dancing uh, ballet and 
what else? Um, I knew, I, I feel like I knew early on my direction in life. And um, by high school, I knew that I wanted to go into fashion. Um, so I applied to Parsons and I ended up going there, which was um, really an amazing experience for me. Hold on, I'm gonna take a breath. Is that okay? Of course. <laughs> Sometimes I feel, <clears throat> and I feel like I have to almost start everything, like rewind and start anything with a couple of breaths because I always find that if I don't, I end up breathing from the wrong place and get stuck. So I'm just going to take like three deep breaths. Okay. And then I'm going to take three deep there. breaths. And actually I would encourage everybody to take, you want to breathe with me? Should we take three deep breaths to connect let's, together? Yeah. Let's right. So we'll just breathe on the four, the count of four in the inhale and four on the exhale. Okay. Ready? Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Go ahead. Exhale. Inhale. One more breath. So thank you so much. <laughs> No, I, oh, now I feel like, like I it, start every podcast with uh, just, yeah, it like replaces. And I'm like, ah, I can talk now. I'm with you now. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. <clears throat> so yeah, I went to Parsons and I worked like an animal there. It was a really rigorous program. Um this is in the 90s, to give you some context, because I graduated in 1999. From there, I spent my sophomore year studying in Paris at, their, at the Parsons in Paris. Mm. I had my first internship there at Zulibet, which is still an existing house, a French-African um, designer named um, Malik. And wait, I may have his name wrong. Now I'm forgetting. But headed by this incredible visionary and he um had me sewing in the back of his atelier in the suburbs of Paris and what was interesting is that this was so far before any conversation around upcycling or um definitely way before any conversations around sustainability were were entering the room in the fashion spaces it was all about that. It was about using waste and it was about upcycling and turning existing garments into new garments. And I think that there was um, such a movement during the 90s around deconstruction, which was maybe the precursor for what we would then experience a little bit later on about thinking about how to use waste and turn it into other things. I mean, I remember in the 90s, Margiela having that amazing show of um uh watching like um bacteria grow onto clothing and like what it did and i think that there were these creative um like beginnings during that time of what we would be encountering later but it was really just coming from a creative vision space so i did that work with him and then i came back to the states um and I like to bring up these internships because I feel like that they're really definitive of 
kind of the cross education that I had. So I was having this very formal training at Parsons, learning technical aspects properly. Like how do you pull a grain out of the fabric and the the proper, you know, drafting and draping and everything like that. And then my next internship in New York was with this artist designer named Elisa Jimenez who she made marionettes, but also made fashion. And again, the 90s was so about this type of, it had space for this type of design and this type of like art and fashion marriage. And so I learned from her how to create really intuitively, like everything was about putting a piece of fabric on the ground with a pair of scissors and basically like drawing the shape of the garment with your scissors and then only using a monofilament to stitch it up. And measurements would be like one open hand on the waist, two fist, fists stacking to the bust point. And like, okay, so that's one open hand, two fists, three fingers, and then spit marking, a little spit on the fabric to mark where you were going to stitch. And it was such a sculptural kind of intuitive, artful way of countering this more formal education. And I always just like want to bring acknowledgement and reverence to the those teachings that I was given because I feel like they always sort of stayed present in how I approach, maybe not how I like make clothes right now, but how I approach the process um, around being hands-on. Yeah. And I mean, it's so important. I, the whole reason probably I started Revolver, like I was actually getting a master's degree in environmental politics and I was going to go into the political sphere and I was living in Paris and interned at Stella McCartney. And like, mm -hmm. that is where the idea for Revolver was born. So you, it, it, it is important to honor these moments in your life and pay attention to them because something amazing can come out of these, you know, opportunities if we really embrace them. And yeah, I, I think it's really important to have to honor those moments in our lives. Definitely. And then I guess in like, then the forward fast forward version is thinking about that. Then when these young people come and have these experiences with you and how impactful that can be, I, it's interesting. I, I mean, I guess I think about that, but not as much as I am right now in the sense that these two very specific internships in like my late teens and early twenties were so formative and were really um, laying a pathway without even knowing it. So gratitude for that in a big way. Um, and then I graduated in 99 and was a bit lost as far as where and how I would fit into the particular structure of the industry at that point. So for reference, the majority of my classmates were looking for positions at like Donna Karen and Calvin Klein. Um, if you have younger, they're going to know those names, obviously, but like Isaac Mizrahi and a very larger like 90s um, like powerhouses. Powerhouses it was like Seventh Avenue was like the spot of like where people would go and you'd get a job and you would draw like woven tops, you know, and uh, you'd grow knit bottoms and that's what you do all day. But I was so not um, kind of built for that. I had been making my own clothes all through school. I had established relationships with my dear friends were stylists at the time. So they were styling music videos and um 
working with like the beginning of celebrity as we know it. So it was like, this was the time of JLo, um, Britney Spears, Khalees, um, Beyonce came a little later, um, but it was sort of like this new era of what celebrity was going to be. Like, remember th that time when you were like, oh, wow, we were looking at people differently. It was, it was like the time of pop stars. So my friends were doing their videos and they would come to me for custom pieces because I was hand making all of these like one of a kind things in my little apartment. And so I had started making a lot of those pieces and I was making a little bit of money that way. And then I brought a bag of clothing to a friend's consignment store. And this is just like a couple months after graduating and trying to figure it out and trying to like, I was thinking about going back to grad school or going for a uh, costume design and, um, I brought the bag of clothes to the friend's store and Patricia Fields was there. And so she, yeah, I, I've told this story 1 million times, but this is the origin. No, it's okay uh, for anybody who doesn't know Patricia Fields with the stylist for Sex in the City. Um, she's like the visionary. So the first, you know, whole run of it in the, in the early 2000s, that was her vision. And she's truly a visionary thinking of like that imprint that she had culturally um, and in fashion and what that show did. It was so uh, influential yeah. for years and years to come. And so still, was, arguably, I mean, I still totally, love it, right? <laughs> yes. Um, I know, really, to this day, it's still relevant and still cool. Yeah. So. I, she was there and I was a huge fan of hers because she had these two stores in New York City um, called House of Field and um, Hotel Venus. And they were like the churches for the club scene. So mm -hmm. I was into clubbing and um, mostly for like the self-expression of it and the costume making of it. And she had these incredible stores and it was like the most fabulous drag queens that work there. You could go and buy these independent designers stacked, you know, platform heels, wigs, the most, you know, amazing makeup, insane things. And people adored these stores. Like they were... Um, just so iconic. And so I knew her through that. And when I met her, she told me about this show she was working on. Um, you know, I'm working on this show. It's going to be the most influential thing that's ever hit fashion. Um, and so she ended up buying the bag that I had for like $200. She bought the full contents of the bag for the show. Um, and the next day her buyers called and set up appointments to an appointment to come and see what I was making. And they came to my little studio apartment and I got dressed and undressed in front of them. And I showed them these handmade one of a kind little things and they placed their first order for $5,000. And it was like, I had become the richest person in the world. Um, $5,000 was an enormous amount of money for me at that time. Yeah. And that was the beginning. And I sat in that apartment and I made the entire order and I hand delivered it and um, I began. That is just, that's crazy. And again, like it, I've had so many of these like conversations with people and it is sort of like right place, right time meets 
actual talent and passion and creativity. And this is just a classic example of that. So New York City and New York City, um, you know, the the city of dreams. So you're you're basically so you start your line. Things are evolving. You know, I'm assuming you're kind of like getting bigger and bigger. And I guess just out of curiosity, like when did you start thinking that maybe like the way fashion was going wasn't right for you your ethos like when did like you start having like niggles I want to say about things maybe not being the way that they should be within the industry well it it was a while in I mean I I started my business in 2000 so this is 23 years ago and it's gone through many different incarnations and iterations of itself and transformations like I've kind of grown up within my brand like every version I've like versioned myself through it so it's like a a very different version at 23 years old to 45 years old yeah Um, and it's always been this vehicle of self-expression to be able to create from where I'm existing from Um, And I think that that's a big part of its its success is it's been this like kind of authentic bridge for a a human story then to be translated into um, wearable pieces, I guess. And so, as you can imagine, it's had many aesthetics to it and versions along the way. Um, And it did take off and grow. And it went from being something very handmade and one of a kind to something that I figured out how to manufacture in a very small way. And then that grew into a larger way. And then it grew outside of the United States and it just kept growing. Um, And then it was in 2015. So it was about eight years ago that Um, I hit the big wall um, around, you know, I was incredibly just in like full yucked uh, discomfort by it. It feels like it's been longer, but, you know, it's been eight years. So is that right? I I honestly think it is because I, I don't know if you remember, but we briefly met in 2015, we threw a launch party for Rev. That was the year I launched Rev in New York with Pamela Love. And it was like, it's somewhere in the meatpacking now. I can't even remember. It was like the fat radish people did it. It was like, and Mm -hmm. I remember like, there were a lot of people there and I don't remember speaking to you for a long time, but I remember having, I think a really brief conversation where you were like, you sort of said something along the lines of like, I'm changing my entire business. Like it was like you, you were, you were talking about it. And that was when I first really started to like follow your line. And like, it's been extraordinary to sort of see over the last eight years, like a lot of people in these big corporations talk about making changes and then you watch their progress and they do F all to be quite honest. And you, I'm like, it just seems like it was like you made a decision and you followed that path really like in an authentic way. And so I can, I, I just, it's funny because I do think it was 2015 because that was when we did our it was 2015, Definitely. It's just sometimes I feel like, oh my God, 
Um, it feels like a long time and a short time. Time's funny, isn't it? Um, it <laughs> contracts and expands at its own will. And I think in the way that you respond to it, or if it feels good, it's fast. And if it feels hard, it's slow. Um, but yeah. Um, and and so we changed. My My son was three. And I think that that was a huge impetus for it because it became um, less about like my egoic will and vision and more about something that would expand into a legacy and um, something that would become someone else's responsibility. And that was painful. Um, we had gone through this, I think, you know, a big part of it was going through this stage and I think about 2008 where there was this financial um, contraction and it was a really scary time and we had been using a lot of silk leading up to that and all of a sudden everything became silk prices skyrocketed and everything became expensive and all of our partners wanted these really like everything I will never forget the price like everyone wanted a dress at 268 like 268 dollars and it was like oh, oh. so we had to transition from silks to polyester and to and it was like and I knew and you know at that time that it, it was like not my ideal and it didn't make me feel good but at the time it felt like a solution for the company for something to like get us across the bridge and to help um, stay the course a bit till we could figure something else out. And from that move, it, it expanded us even more where we were then, I felt like worked for Bloomingdale's in a sense of like, what do you need? How do we deliver this? Every, and a big part of that transformation was also inspired because I disconnected from the aesthetic. And like I said, this entire process has been like a reflector, right? So where I'm at, if I'm if the brand is really on point, then it's matching back to who I am um, and what I'm feeling like and how I'm actually dressing. And so when it's disconnected, you can tell it's not going to be like as successful. I can always, now I, I understand that. Mm -hmm. So it had disconnected. I wasn't wearing the things I was making. I didn't even like really, I felt in betrayal a bit to the women that I was, or the, any of the people that were being called to the brand because it wasn't my true vision of how I, I feel like it's my job to support and help particularly women and by helping them feel their best and, and guiding them a bit. And so when I'm putting things out there that I'm not fully behind, I feel like I was in a betrayal. And so that was also a big part of the transformation. I was like, okay, I can't continue to make things on this level in this way, I was really aware by this point of what was happening within the industry. And I felt a bit helpless in that transformation. Again, like terrified, because even though by no means were we pioneers in this space, um, there are amazing, I mean, you had Stella going be, you know, you have Eileen, you have Patagonia, you have people that were like really leading this, you know, this path. Um, but it was a really different landscape than what it is now, right? Like the resources, like there's no world that you would start or do anything now. It'd be crazy to do anything that wasn't under the, you know, the commitment of least harm at this point. Like it'd be crazy, but you have all the accessibility 
at this point to do it that way. And at that point, it was still like, oh my God, how do you, um, you know, what do I replace this with? How do I do that? How do I access got certified organic cotton? How do I, you know, what do I replace viscose with? Like, how do I get, you know, and so it was just a ton of research and figuring things out and uh, and also being really supported by the groups of people that were already in the space. And I will say that is probably, and you can, I'm sure, attest to this, one of the most inspiring parts, I think, of this particular part of the fashion industry is, is its um, commitment to support and collaboration when it's an authentic ask, you know, people want to help you because I think that people that are really in this space and are rooting for this transformation understand that like, it's only going to work if everybody does it. Yeah. Right. So it's like, if I have a resource, I want you to have the resource. It can't be proprietary to me, like me holding on to something that's an improvement or a better system is like working in the antithesis of this movement. It's a hundred percent. And I feel like that was the thing that struck me the most when I came into sustainability was like, we'd be working with designers that had, you know, a, a unique fabric and they'd be like, please send this to your other designers in case they want to use it or what, you know, and I'd never, I'd never experienced that sort of collaboration in any professional sense before. And it is, it continues to be something that gives me a lot of like hope and stuff when there are dark days or dark news. It, it, I know that like the people that are heading in the right direction are putting out their hands and trying to like help as many people into the boat as they can, because it is, it is coming from the right and the good place. And, you know, and when it's something is right and good, you kind of want it to be right and good for everyone. So I, I completely appreciate what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think like, cause I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this and I know we get a lot of feedback from people who are in careers or working at companies where they, they struggle with the ethos or making change. And I just, I want to ask a slightly frank question, which is, you know, did your company sort of suffer from the adaptations to making things like if you were like, all right, we're not going to, you know, use polyester anymore and our prices are going to go up because we're going to be using organic cotton and it's might not, it may not be as accessible to as many people as it used to be. Like, do you feel that you had to sacrifice some level of like financial or otherwise success in order to make this change? Or did you, were you able to weather the storm? We 100% suffered. Um, yeah. This Sorry, everybody. Probably not the answer you wanted to hear. It's not for the faint of heart. Like it's not for, I always say that it's like, there's two sides to this coin. Like we are an independently run company. I still am. So no meaning, no investors, no partners. Um, not saying if you're out there and you're like on the same page, call me, but I, you know, up until this point, we could make, well, still at this point, make decisions that would not be necessarily considered like financially um, like prudent decisions. Like we have been able to move from a place of 
intuition, from emotion, from gut, not separate from analytics and a business, you know, perspective, but we could make moves that maybe couldn't be backed up with like the dollar in the sense of it, but there wasn't an alternative. So that was the thing for me. It was like, we're either going to like dive into this thing or we're going to close. Right. So if we close, we wrap up shop and we all like try and figure out other placements for where we could be and all of that. Um, but they kind of like all the money on the table for this. And it was really hard in the beginning. It was really hard because the majority of our partners weren't there yet or had no interest. It wasn't like something that was driving their marketing campaigns as it is right now. Now it's such a part of so many people's marketing, whether they're like authentically behind it, hopefully they are. I think a lot of them are. And they're like finally hip to the fact that we've got, you know, for more reasons than like is a cute story on Instagram or whatever. It's real for them. Um, but this was before that. And so our, here we are showing up and our same buyers are coming in and going, I'm sorry, what? Like hemp? Yeah. I don't think we were in hemp in the first season. The first season was really like an organic linen, an organic cotton. Um, but part of this is like a very narrowed fabric portfolio still is like we do not have that many fabrics like we maybe work with pen I mean maybe that's being generous but like that's it like we work with hemp organic cotton modal um wool the climate beneficial wool I'm wearing we I'm wearing it right now <laughs> yeah I mean I'm trying uh tencel. yeah um, what, what am I missing and then like you know our swim materials which is pure attacks right well, we're working with Pyrotex now, which is a very exciting innovation for us because it's the first, you know, um, it's the first partnership with this particular company that isn't using petroleum-based uh, materials for swim, which is huge for the industry um, as a whole because so many of us have relied now on recycled, um, like on Econile recycled polys yeah. for our swim bases, which has been a solution, was a solution, but is not the solution ultimately, because it's still, you know, contributes to microplastics. It's still, you know, it is definitely not the solution. Um, and so we've, this is, you know, fast forwarding, but looking for a solution. Pyrotex has been amazing. It's very exciting. Um, yeah. So the fabrications were narrowed and then coming out of the gate and meeting with these buyers who are like, hey, wait, this is not Marl Hoffman. This isn't what we buy you for. This isn't like we, we buy you for a specific reason. And this is not it. We have other people that work in, you know, or fabrics that feel like this earthy fabrics. This isn't us. So we contracted majorly. Um, and it's funny because we had just moved into this huge studio on Fifth Avenue 18th, kind of on the successes of our old world, right? Yeah. And then we like expanded it and then like introduced our new world. It was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and where um, did you find the strength though to like, you know, because I feel like a lot of people would have capitulated and been like, you know what? we've got to bring in some polyester. We've got to bring in some more affordable op. Like where did you kind of find the wherewithal to be like, no, we're doing it this way or we're not doing it at all. Because I think that's what a lot of people are going to do right now. 
I think it's just my personality. I think that I've always just kind of been, I have a vision and I go for the vision. Um, and I had a really supportive team who believed in it too. Like the person that I made this transformation with, Dana Davis, who's amazing. She was my production director at the time. And now she's my VP of sustainability. And it was really her who like took the reins in um, like all the research. And she still is like, she's such an incredible force in this industry and in the way that she makes connections and finds alternatives and solutions. And, and she's so inspired and lit up by that part. I'm inspired by it and I'm lit up by it, but it's not the thing like, like I love the work that we're doing, but you know, I'm a, a creative engine, right? And so I'm kind of like an energy mover. Mm -hmm. And then I have people in my team that come in where they're really lit up. Like Dana's lit up by that process. She's lit up by innovation. She's lit up by like, oh, no, the regenerative farming part of this, the, oh, the materials, the industry moving forward, the policy change and all of it. I love it. But like, she, you know, this is like what sets her on fire. Right. And then I've got someone else who it's like the marketing, figuring out the business it sets them on fire. And so I feel like one of my absolute strengths is around um, find, like being a magnet for amazing people and finding people that know so much more than I do. It's yeah. always been the way, like hire smarter people than you, like just put your team together by people that like blow you out of the water, bring them in. They're the people for you. Yeah. I remember, I can't, I, I can't remember who said it, but I remember that was one of like, you know, when you're starting a business and people are giving you so much advice, like there were a few snippets of things that I have taken with me throughout the last few years and hiring people that are smarter than you was one of those sort of things, yeah. like better than you at certain things. So I completely understand. So, so you're on this like new journey and you're like producing new things. And how did you find the industry sort of like slowly started to adapt? What do you feel like the industry started to change with you do you feel like things yeah, it was in its beginning you know it was definitely it wasn't beginning because it had been begun yeah. you know like i said like this was not new but it was um beginning to take a more um well-known kind of seat right like people began to talk about it more it still took a little while it still took a few years maybe like three years for it to start being like really cool that we were doing that. Right. right? Mm -hmm. um, not like, huh? Yeah, I guess. I don't know if our customers care, you know, I don't know. Why are your things more expensive? Who cares? Like that was beginning. And then, um, and then a few years into the game, it was like, Oh, wow. All right. That became kind of the, um, the thing. And then more people started to work in that space and then slowly, but surely a lot more people started to get into the space. And then with anything that gains traction, you're going to have people that are in it for the right reasons. And then you're going to have people that are in it for the momentum of it. That is not necessarily because they're actually invested in the work or the, you know, the forwardness of it, the collectiveness of it. Um, they're in it for the kind of self, um, 
growth. Um, yeah. You know, you see that with anything. So it confuses the space a little bit. Um, and I think it would maybe be harder than for a customer or the people to be able to identify, like, what is what out there? Like, what is, you know, ethical? Like, what isn't? If a brand or if a company says that they're conscious or they're doing this thing and it's, you know, we've all had these conversations. I think it's just like made it probably a more challenging landscape for the consumer. It, you know, and it's so true. And one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you and one of the reasons I love the brand and you as like the woman behind the brand so much is because I feel like you have like really been able to maintain this authenticity that like, you know, you pop up on the Instagram with like your husband or your son and, you know, you can see the sort of women that inspire you and the sort of women that you want to dress Mara Hoffman in and stuff. And like, how have you sort of gone about like, as the brand has grown, how have you made sure that like who you are as a woman, as a founder, as a person, as an advocate, like has remained at at the forefront? Because arguably, I remember I actually had Eileen Fisher on the podcast, and I don't know if you would agree with the sentiment, but she basically said what happened was the, the company got too big. I lost myself in the company. The company lost me in it. And then it it started to work when I came back in and it was like Eileen Fisher again. And I truly knew what I was doing and what I was working towards and what I believed in. And would you say there's an element of that with you too? Yeah, but it, definitely. And that makes so much sense. And I think I'm sure there's some examples where, um, you know, you can build something and then it really can fly without you. You know, I think a lot of people attempt that too. It's like creating something that doesn't own you in the end, but it frees you in the end, you know, where you can like, um, and I think about that too sometimes is like what my relationship is to this enterprise. And because I'm so deeply intertwined with it, I've, it's been my life. Um, and like I said, that I've like lived so through it, I've expressed through it. Um, and we've definitely run into these points of like questioning, like how, like how much of me like is supposed to be forward in this, um, especially in this world of where social media is such a huge part of our um, communication tools. And I think you, you do, you know, you see more female founder, maybe, I don't know, whoever founded brands that um, their founders are the faces. And there's more of that happening now, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, when I disconnect, um, I don't think it, you know what, I'm, I'm still, I think that the jury's, the verdict is out on this because I, I'd like to believe that I can create this, um, I can create this being, which is the company, right? To be able to function and breathe and uh, express because we've put so much into building it that it can do that without me driving every force. Like that would be a really beautiful thing too. Um, and I think I'm still, I'm figuring that part out right now. I keep thinking about 50, you know, I'm 45, I'm about to be 46 at the end of March. And what this like, I see these next four years is again, like this bridge. Like I feel that 50 is this next phase of 
being able to create more space in my life for um, other ideas and other interests and, and more stillness and more um, like self-examination, which I'm always really interested in. So I think about the company in terms of that, like, how do I build this thing? Um, like a, a child, like I can't be, you know, you're going to get to 18. And like, I want you to be able to be self-sufficient. I want you to be able to like live in the world by yourself. It's kind of the same thing, um, but I get it. Like we're so locked into it. We're so woven into the fibers of it. So it's it's still curious to me. At the current moment, I'm really enjoying my presence with it. And I have a little bit more confidence in that than maybe I did even a couple of years ago. Like I'm kind of at this point right now where I'm like, I'm going to put myself, you know, like, great, here's me in a bikini, great, yeah. here, you know, it's just like, oh, here it is. <laughs> yeah, but no, and there's just such a beauty to that, and it's funny because it's like, you know, social media is such a complex entity, Instagram, you know, we, I refuse to put Rev on TikTok just because I literally cannot, like, put my headspace there, but it's just like, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, I, it's just like I'm I'm 35 I'm 10 years below you but still I'm like past that sort of like being super into it but I do find it interesting how people are very um curious about me and my lifestyle behind Revanvere and like when we were first starting the company that was not something that I had like anticipated as being something that would be so relevant to to Rev as an entity so it was just I like wanted to get your take on that because just actually well, I'm personally curious, but also for so many people. But even for that, I think that it's a sign that we're all like moving towards humanity a little bit more, like out of this space of brand, you know, and that we're all just thirsty. We're like craving connectedness with each other. So to be able to like link into your story is more interesting than the brand story. I get it. Like we want each other. Like what did we just go through? We went through this like wild period of separation. You know, um, when I saw one of the questions that you have here is around the space, opening the store. And um, it's, yeah. And, and thinking about, it was really um, so much of it was an antidote, like this idea of how do we become physical, connected, close to one another again after this space of distance. And so even though like putting our faces forward, right, as founders and being present, I get it. It's not the physical. It's not the smell. It's not the like sensual aspect of it, but it's um, human. Oof. Yeah. Like it's 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 touch there's something um vulnerable about it it's we've like went through this mass vulnerability together and now there's no real going back right there's no like let's just become entities again like let's it's like oh just give it to me maybe to the point where you're like okay don't give me so much yeah. but 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 it's that it's like our human experience is about connectedness it's like the core in my opinion really my opinion is about connecting the human experience is about connecting yeah. um through everything through our experience with one another through the things that we make the things we put into the world address a, a, a piece of fabric it's a it's a it's a vehicle for connecting someone to themselves first and foremost reconnecting 
connecting to like the love or building an actual love for yourself and then in turn being able to do it left and right and and then in turn that connectedness is so much of the cure for like what we're experiencing on an environmental level like when we are not well with ourselves we're not well with one another and there's no world in which we are well with the planet so we need to connect. Um, and I think that there's something in that when people want to see you more. Um, and that's a sign and it's positive. And so the store was really ultimately about how to create physicality for that after this space of disconnect. And I longed for um, bringing people together where they could walk in and smell a different smell in the air. They could pick up, I'm into smell, you know, they could pick up a jacket and, you know, sometimes I'll smell something to understand it because we're animals too. Like, you know, I don't know if you do that, you like smell it to see like, what is that thing? Let me smell it. But I thought about that, like, oh, I need that for people. Um, I need that for myself. I need to be able to be in a space with other people where I can intervene in a moment that is um, a really vulnerable moment Think about a dressing room, right? Like when you, um, on my dryer might be beeping. If it is, I'll go and you tell me if you hear it. I don't hear it. Um, the vulnerability of trying a piece of clothing on, right? Like you take your clothes off and did you hear that beep? Mm-mm. Okay. You take your clothes off in a foreign space, right? You're not in your bedroom. You're not in your bathroom but you're in a room that like you've never been in that room and you're naked you're close to naked and then you're putting something on and you're in this dialogue of uh you know how you feel about yourself how you're seeing yourself at that moment and to be able to create a space where I was just uh talking on this having this conversation last night and these words came around it of like the people that are working in this space are kind of like acting as doulas in a sense where they're helping this process through, like to have the experience where somebody is asking for permission to tie that just right. Nick, can I retie that belt for you? Can I pull that strap up a little bit for you? Can I help you into this experience so that ultimately you can look in the mirror? This is the goal for me, is they're gonna have this experience, right? Where they look in the mirror and they see themselves in this, even if it's turning the knob up one, tiny channel, they're going to see themselves a bit higher, right? In this other light of confidence, whatever it is for them, if it's confidence, sexiness, beautiful, whatever your descriptors are that make you feel like a ah, seen, right? And they're going to have that moment and that dress or that shirt or the bathing suit is going to create this transformation for them. And within that transformation, they're going to go out into the world and they're going to feel differently. And that feeling is going to create transformations for other people. So it's like, when we think, what I think right now about sustainability and what it actually really means, there's all this magnificent work that's done in the innovation space, in the technology space of it, in the farming space of it. I love that that exists. And I'm so inspired that there's somebody on my team who that is their, yes, let's do that thing. I'm in it. When I really sink into my purposeness purposefulness in this space and in my life it's on an energetic level and it's helping people into those tiny moments of transformation where there's an up leveling because when they do that it's a chain and they can support others and if we can get that going big enough 
we will see a shift in our planet. And I just believe that really firmly. And I know that it's probably the most powerful point that I can come from, even though it feels really small. And I know that I have bigger influence than that, right? Through the materials, through the conversation, all of it is a bigger touch point. But there's something in that one-on-one. There's something in like helping one person experience something better for themselves. It's a chain. Um, You're like... I, I just, it's so, it's funny. So my mom, when she was 65 years old, started a physical retail store in coastal Maine. And everyone was like, you're crazy. What are you doing? She's, she's run garden centers her whole life. That's like what she's done. And she's always known that like this human interaction is really important, but she was just like, she did it because she was like, I hate that we don't go in and try on clothes anymore. I hate that people don't wrap presents for you at Christmas anymore. I hate that you can't have that human experience. And I mean, I, my father and I, as much as we love and believe in her, we didn't even know if it would be successful. And like, she is growing year on year on year. And whenever anyone asks her how she's making it work, she says it's human connection and people will always want that and we can't lose it. So it's funny. I can just I, I, from what you're saying, I can just say that like, I've seen it firsthand with my own mother and her sort of second career that like, this is so powerful for her. And it, it leads me to my next question, which I did want to touch upon is you are one of the few sustainable designers I know that is doing extended sizing. And Mm. when we first started Rev, our biggest criticism was that we didn't stock large sizes. And I would actually, and that was back when I was like doing the customer service myself. And I'd like be writing people back being like, I'm so sorry. The designers we work with only go up to a size large, maybe extra large. Like we can't, as a retailer, we can't provide clothing that doesn't exist. And, you know, I'm really sorry. And we're that, that's not us wanting to be exclusive. It's just a lack of, 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 people actually doing it. And I'm really interested to see how this part of the business came along for you and how you've like approached it, because it's just wonderful to see that like, you know, you go on the website, there are models of different sizes, colors, shapes, everything. And like, it's just, it's still really missing in fashion. Like it feels like we've come a long way, but like sometimes you look around and you're like, gosh, not so much. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm trying to um, remember, like, I think it was just also understanding that, like, how do we create access? How do we invite more people into this experience? And the ask had been there forever, too. It's like, here are these people that are like, why aren't you including me? Like, hello, you know? And in some defense of the, the lag of this, is the financial ask. And I think that there's, it's a tricky one for people, you know, who aren't involved in the industry to understand like what that is. And it's like, it's not a defense to not doing it, or it's just more of an understanding of, I think in our, my opinion, what took us so long, um, it feels like to get there um, is that 
you've got to start from the beginning again. Like you create one sample and then it's like, you can't take something that was built on a size six model and then scale that up to a 20. You've got to restart the garment. Like we restarted at 16 and consider it from that place. You're doubling your expenses, you know, from a fit model to a pattern to all these parts. So particularly for us, specifically to us being independently run and always being in what it felt, feels like a cash crunch of like, ah, budget, like, how do you make a decision? Like, we got to believe again, it was that thing of being like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know. I believe this is going to work. Like, why wouldn't this work? Same with the sustainability thing back in 2015. It was like, how do we, we're going to have to take a chance. I've got no record, you know, I can't prove this. And it's still a slow grow, to be honest. It's really interesting. And I think like, it's not gangbusters on a business level for us, but it's essential and it's never something that we're ever going to back out of because it's who we are. Um, but I think that when I think about it, I feel like that customer has been so deeply trained to not be seen or cared for through her entire like experience of interacting with clothing and her body that she's been trained to like a few spaces to go and find clothes and that's worked into a budget. And that's like, okay, well, this is how much I spend on clothes because like, that's where I can buy clothes. And um, that, it, you know, in theory, you would think that like this would be a bigger part of our business right now, but I feel like there's retraining that still has to happen simply because like, she's been left out of the conversation for so long that it takes a while then to sort of retrain yourself to spend differently and to approach dressing a little bit differently. And so, um, you know, women who are in these standard sizes, like up to a size 12 has had all this time to like refigure out how she spends, you know, and like where she invests in her clothing. And I think that that hasn't, that option hasn't been there for so long. So I'm hoping that it's just, is a slower thing to um, to connect, but it means so much. And it is so really special and beautiful to see such a variety of women and humans, just expand it, just human beings that connect to what we do. It's really beautiful. It's really like the juice, you know? <laughs> it's like the reward is seeing so much joy. And again, that thing, like even in Instagram, getting tagged in things and you see people in these beautiful moments in their life, because we're really aspirational for a lot of people. Like we're not, we don't just sit in that designer space. We sit in high contemporary, but our price points have gone up a lot. They're continuing to go up due to supply chain. And so I know that a lot of our customer, she's reaching. You know, like it's a big deal for her to buy one of our dresses and, and she's buying it for something really special in her life. And then hopefully she's wearing it a hundred times after that too. But, you know, it's a big deal. And then when she puts herself out in that piece of clothing, you know, it's like, it's that thing. It's that transformational moment of being, feeling so good about yourself and feeling so beautiful and feeling so seen um, and then how that ripples into the world around you. So it's just getting more people into this um, space and it's beautiful to see it. And there's so much appreciation I feel from that customer who has tapped into the brand 
and like she wears it with such beauty and such enthusiasm and that's just incredible it's it's so true and and this is actually my second to last question because i did just want to briefly touch upon it and you know because of course there is all of this feedback on sustainable fashion being so expensive and so inaccessible and do you guys just how have you sort of thought about that is it just like you're asking people to make you know one-off purchases or investment pieces or are you trying to get across like why it's more expensive or how have you kind of tried to work with that piece because there is no you know there's just no getting around it that sustainable fashion costs more than what we're used to paying but there is a reason for that for sure and it it remains in a space of exclusivity and it's that sucks for sure it's like oh the thing that it's like food you know the thing that's good for you costs more money like or you know the things that are killing you and are bad for you are so accessible and it's so like easy you know and then the things that are going to save us as a human race is like out of reach um it's across the board so and I don't have the solution to it. I really don't. It's an unfair system. It's an, you know, um, it's based on a lot of uh, long time existing things in this country. It's based on white supremacy. It's based on colonization. It's like, it's been created to keep people down. Um, and it shows up in every, almost every industry, it just shows up and it shows up in my industry and it's here and the access isn't there. Um, but I, how do we communicate it? I think we could probably do a better job. We talk about that internally of how do you communicate that um, and let people know. I think it's through more aspects of education around what it means, the work that we're doing. And we try to do the best job of that. Um, again, we could do better with that. I think that all of our, you know, all of our information is accessible. So if you go to our site, if you are somebody who's interested or curious or like, why are her dresses so expensive? You know, you can definitely self-educate in that space um, on our about page. And then things are about scaling. You know, one of your questions too was around on the, um, and the climate beneficial wool group was around scale. Um, and if that is a scalable thing, and I think all of it is about scale, like this is the thing of production is that, and this is a catch 22, okay? When we're gonna talk about manufacturing and in sustainability, and we're gonna talk about growth in relationship to more things, right? So we talk about scale and it's like a way to get things to cost less money is to make more things, right? You make more of the same thing and the price drops is how it works. When you make less of that thing, the price is more expensive. So you want to become, <laughs> it's complicated. You want to become more accessible. So you need bigger orders, larger minimums, right? You're making more things. Um, and like, which one is it? You know, is it like, I don't know. And I think and I'm not like nailing this answer, but there's a lot of things that like aren't figured out. And there's a lot of these parts that like are still kind of messy and, and not, um, and it's always going to be that like here's the fashion and what we're doing and sustainability in fashion. Like there's no perfect form to this thing because it's really far from perfect. 
even what I'm doing, like in nature, by its nature of manufacturing new things, it's out of alignment with a true version of sustainability, right? Like the truest version would be for me not producing and just encouraging people to like use what they have and be in swapping systems with each other and buy secondhand and, you know, mend and longevity. Like there are many ways to live a sustainable, there's way more sustainable ways of living than buying from a sustainable fashion brand. Like I'm your like last resort kind of, you know, <laughs> I'm for that like beautiful moment of needing newness or I'm a good alternative, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a good alternative to really not good options. Yeah. Um, but th that that's the truth of it. So there's a lot of these parts that you either have to like let it eat you up and just collapse you or kind of have some understanding and compassion for the fact that this is broken and I'm not going to be the solution on this, um, but I'm going to do my best to be um, a graceful alternative in a kind of um, a very tricky time in our in humanity. You know, and I think you said that you weren't answering the question perfectly. I actually think that you did because exactly what I wanted you to do was talk about how difficult this is and that nobody has the the answer yet. And I think the idea of compassion and empathy for people that are really trying their best to do the right thing is the best we're going to get right now. And, you know, I, I bring this up a lot. One of my first podcasts was with Sarah Mino, who's at Vogue Italia. And I asked her about, you know, the fashion industry as a whole. And she was like, you know, yes, I guess maybe none of us should buy anything new, but she was like, one of the things that makes us human is a love of beauty and culture and creation. And if we take all that away, we're also taking something very fundamental of humanity away. And I really go back to that quite a bit when people say there should be no newness because I'm like, but then is that human? Like, so then it just becomes, it might be trickier to solve if there's no newness, but I don't think we're ever going to get away from the fact that like humans like to create things and and that doesn't necessarily have to be bad mm -mm. I think we just have to like really up our game and our responsibility of like what it means to be creators and like make these oaths um to find the absolute best and least harmful path towards it if we're going to create yeah 100 percent. well then I, I'm finishing the podcast asking everybody the same question because we always delve into sort of like distressing things. So I like to end on a high note, which is what is it that's making you feel like the most hopeful at this moment in time? I have this list here that's like, um, you know, things that are in the fashion, like, you know, fashion policy, totally hopeful in that um, more brands getting involved, um, the youth, all these things, but uh, important, hopeful, yes, totally hopeful. But I think like, if I'm really, I don't know, if I'm really being honest, I guess it's about this opening that I really feel and I can see it and sense it, that's available to us right now. And even in this like darkest, easy time to find the tragedy of our collective experience there's this um there's an availability right now but it takes stillness and it takes like a dedication 
to going inward in order to access um, this bit of hope that I think that you're looking or asking about. And I can tell you that it's available and it's really beautiful and it's really transformative and it's available to us as a collective, but it's with the ask of um, stillness and inwardness. And I know on a personal level, I'm extraordinarily hopeful about that because I feel it and I experience it and I touch it. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's there and it is total love and it is a rooting for us as humans. It's, it, it is this force that believes in us so deeply and you can call it whatever you want and I won't put labels or names to it, but it's, um, it's an energy and it, it's one that um, is so profoundly here for us, but it's asking just to like be quiet and find it for a minute so we can do this thing together. So that's why, that's why I'm most hopeful for more of us tapping in. I, Love that. It might be one of my favorite answers that anyone has ever given to that question. So thank you, Mara. This was um, so wonderful. And I know people are going to just love hearing you and your journey. And, you know, thank you for everything that you're doing and have done. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for doing the work you're doing. It's so important to share the stories. You're doing such good work. Really appreciate that. Keep doing that. 